northwest Donegal Gaeltacht parish of Gidor is today known to many strangers as the cultural cradle of international music stars like Enya, Clamod and Alton. Before the Victorian era, it's unlikely that many beyond Donegal would have recognised the name of Gidor. But that was to change when a booklet by an improving landlord, Lord George Hill, called Facts from Guidor, caught the imagination of many leading Victorian politicians, writers and administrators, who were then turning their attention to problems in Ireland. In April 1846, Sir Robert Peel took it on himself to praise Facts from Guidor in the House of Commons. I need only remind you of the improvements effected in Ireland by Lord George Hill. Is it true that only in the year 1838 that nobleman purchased some 18,000 or 20,000 acres of land in the wildest part of Ireland? That he said to himself, I will perform my duty as a landlord. I will persevere against all difficulties. I will not be deterred by any opposition I may encounter from my tenants or neighbours, but I will persevere in my attempt to improve the condition of the people. Is it true that that noble lord had succeeded in his attempt? Has he not succeeded without the advantage of those prejudices which ancient hereditary descent might have created in his favour? Is it true that by perseverance, by forbearance, by deference in the first instance perhaps to the ignorance or prejudices of the people, by kindly feeling and by evincing determination to effect improvements, he has effected the revolution he contemplated in the country? And has not this been done consistently and with the promotion of his own interests? Has not the value of his property improved? Have not his rentals increased? I must say I think that gentleman, by the example he has set, has entitled himself to be regarded as a public benefactor to his country. While there's much to praise in the work Hill carried out in Guidor, there was more to Guidor than met his eye. While the document is fascinating and important in its own right, new readings of it are leading to a reassessment of Lord George Hill and the basis for his facts from Guidor. The interplay between environment, economy, society and culture are drawn together in the work carried out by Dr Kevin Whelan in recent years. He's director of the Kyo Notre Dame Centre in Dublin and feels that events in Guidor are best understood when placed in a wider historical context. I think if we're looking at what happened in Guidor and indeed across the west of Ireland generally in the immediate uh, post-famine period, that we have really to situate it in a much longer narrative, which is the narrative of what happened in Britain in general from the mid-18th century onwards. Um, so in other words, I would see the famine clearances and the reorganisation of Rundale in the west of Ireland, I would see that as being the third phase of a, a kind of a, a triple movement, the first phase of which was the, the clearances in Scotland, the second phase of which was the uh, enclosure movement in England, and then the Irish um, experience becomes the third phase. And in all three of those cases... What happened really was that the state um, 
dispossessed and removed the rights and privileges of the poor in favour of the kind of landed class. And they did that with the backing of the military power in Scotland, with the backing of kind of legislation in uh, England and, and in Ireland. But in all three countries, in Scotland, in England and in Ireland, basically the rights and privileges of, of the poor were taken from them in relation to landowning by the state. In the name, of course, and this is where Lord George Hill's um, uh, experiment is very interesting, in the name of progress and civilization, that these people had to be taken by the scruff of their neck for their own good, of course, uh, the land taken from them, and they had to be introduced to a more rational, civilised form of modern agriculture. Professor Donal O'Wheel is head of the Irish Department in Queen's University, Belfast. A native of Guidor, he's also editor of Scalan, the excellent local history magazine produced by Common Stade Agusianachish Guidor. He offers a local perspective on the development of Guidor up to and after the publication of Lord George Hill's Facts from Guidor. Lord George Hill and Shaw Grushit the Bugu Hat for Namshin, Man Maurkunto and Lerskalanet Harnugus and the Sadwainer in Yogus Marshin, the Tepatugur Bukshi, the Legal Eras, Brutna Farriga. So it's a draw at the Russian General Bali, the Shula, Hogus Marshin, the Bali Liga Goshna Farriga, Snatched on Gafoil, Gus Marshin the Vishit, after Lady Hill of Bukshit, Agus Narahanic Shishin and Chin. I talked to Donald O'Buil by the harbour at Bonbeg, probably the most concentrated example of Lord George's building programme. Just up the hill is Bunbeg Church of Ireland Church, with its commemorative plaque to Lord George Hill and his efforts to civilise Guidor and to raise its people to a higher social and moral level. You must remember that 400 years ago or so, there was hardly anyone living here. Those that were lived on, on the seashore or where they had access to water and to the shore and, and so on. But by the 1850s or thereabouts, uh, they had increased hugely in number and that brought its own problems. They were anti-landlords, anti-anybody who came in. You must remember before 1840s they didn't pay any rent, they didn't pay any money to anybody. Then suddenly all these landlords appeared, quite a number of them, maybe 10, 15 of them in, in Guidor or Clayhanili, all together. Um, it's very difficult to evaluate exactly um, how good or how bad George Hill really was because the, the way the ordinary people saw him was somebody who imposed rents and more rents on them. Uh, somebody else might see him as somebody who was doing his best to bring in innovations, but they didn't see it that way. Uh, and that always has been the conflict in Ireland, this conflict between an older, older culture and, and uh, maybe new ways of doing things.
The environmental advantages of the old Rondale system were little understood by outsiders like Lord George Hill. That's the view of cultural geographer John Call. He's now working in development in the west of Ireland, but his earlier researches unearthed much of the science and sociology which underpinned that much maligned Rundale system in his native Guidor. He took me to one of the cluster settlements by the Guidor shoreline, which dates back to the period before the landlord's imprint was left on the landscape. Standing down on the coastal plain at Maharagachlan, you can look up at the rugged and spectacular beauty of this unique landscape. Dominated by the majestic quartzite cone of Mount Errigal and the Derry Vey Mountains, the blanket bog sweeps towards the sandy plains and harbours, carrying your gaze towards the offshore islands. By far the most remarkable feature is the density and layout of the houses, sprinkled like an eight-mile-long necklace along the edge of the vast bogland. Even today, reading the landscape of Guidor needs many levels of local knowledge. From someone who hadn't been brought up in the system of living, it would have been seen as being very backward, and it would have, the landlord would have looked at them as as being barbaric insofar as that they had a system, for example, where uh, where we're standing at the moment at Maharagallan, that we actually had buyer dwellings where where the um, where the the cattle were actually kept in the house, and it was a, a, again advanced thinking insofar as it was a system of heating, uh, which 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 was way before its time as well in terms of of, of how do you it was, as it was a pre a pre runner to central heating of types, you know, um, but you know he would have looked at that as being backward and being whatever, and that again that the houses should the, the landlord view would be the houses should be whitewashed and that they uh, shouldn't be sort of uh, in the way that they were that they should they should look better and that that's sort of the visual aspect of it whereas the the clustered settlements were where I suppose again I think the landlord might have missed the point that they were laid out in a specific way even you'll see at the house we're standing beside here that the the ruins of the of these houses that there, there's a, a facing door a double door where, where you actually have a door that you can open um, one one side or the other depending on the wind direction so again they were very kind of energy conscious you might say as well and, and how to how, how to deal with the landscape and you also see that the 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 alignment of the houses was always in relation to the prevailing wind as well. So there was a, I think there was a lot of science associated with the Rundle system, which maybe would have been lost on the landlord because he'd be just looking at the visual side of it. And he would have looked, I suppose, in terms of the, the system was very much a, a barter economy. So therefore, I suppose what you had was a move to a commercial economy and to uh, individual sort of uh, farms and moving towards a, a more commercial setup. And uh, th- that, that in itself, I suppose, must have been a big change for the people. I mean, if you, it's, it's a bit like the move from communism to capitalism. The mountain communities were extremely important. And what happened in the 18th century was essentially that those rights of the poor to access the common lands, which from time immemorial had been there and which weren't in private ownership, that those rights were taken from them and these lands were then transferred into private ownership. So that when George Hill comes into Gidor, one of the first things that he wants to insist on is that the communities are transferred into his private ownership and that they're made available for large-scale sheep farming, which, of course, completely disrupted the environmental balance which was there in the earlier system where 
the relationship between the commonages and the little kind of potato and oats crops, the commonage was extremely important because it allowed people to graze uh, cattle and that in turn created manure, which was the, the really significant feature in terms of maintaining the fertility of the infield. So once you deprive people of access to common land, you also deprive them in fact of the possibilities of properly rearing their, or raising their little crops of potatoes and oats as well. And the, the traditional systems, whether in, in England, in Ireland or in uh, Scotland, those traditional systems were rooted in what we would now call, I suppose, sustainability, in the idea that you had to be able to maintain uh, fertility from year to year. And there was a very complex web of custom and tradition about how that uh, was managed. All of that was a very sophisticated and hard-won kind of wisdom which came from, you know, centuries uh, of, of living in what is, after all, a, a tremendously harsh environment. Uh, and suddenly now you get, you know, people like Lord George Hill coming in. They are experts. They're based on a kind of a, a scientific interpretation of what should be a kind of a rational land use. But in some respects, those guys had no experience whatsoever of trying to live in the, the stirring, rocky uh, outposts of uh, Gidor. But the local people had. But basically what you're getting is that that old wisdom or inherited kind of accumulated environmental experience is just being cast aside as so much nonsense, so much rubbish, and that, as I say, these people have to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck and dragged, kicking and screaming, if necessary, for their own good, of course, into modernity, into rationality, into modern agriculture. And Lord George Hill never, I think, once in his life had any doubt but that he was doing a, a rational, civilised thing and that he was a, a great benefactor of the people. But of course, the people themselves thought rather differently. The landscape would have been very unique uh, in terms of, of the Rundle system and its layout in Guidor. Um, the, the, the system uh, is, is a, an infield, outfield system. So you had uh, all of the houses were, were clustered in a, in, a, in a clustered settlement, an agricultural cluster. And uh, the, the agricultural system uh, of Rondale uh, meant that you then had an infield around uh, that cluster of houses in which uh, the, the crops were set and uh, it, was, it was laid out in a, in a very organised sort of way where uh, the, the infield would not have been fenced off but you would have had strips of, of land uh, within the infield uh, which people owned a strip in various parts of the infield so that you had a kind of a very uh, equal and uh, sort of egalitarian sort of way of dividing the land uh, so that people got a bit of bad land and a bit of good land and a bit of uh, access to water and whatever. So it was a very fair system of land holding and um, at, I suppose as it's most organised it was also very good insofar as that they were it was very environmentally friendly insofar as that you, you, you had a lot system where, where actually you, you, you drew a uh, your, your pieces of land and then there was a rotation system as well so that you weren't stuck with the same strip uh, forevermore, there was actually a rotation and, and while that was organised and managed it was a very efficient system a, a very efficient way of, of working the type of land um, that you had in West Donegal so then outside the, uh, of that then you had the outfield which was very much the grazing area uh, and then you had as I said the mountain uh, landscapes here and uh, you, you would find that uh, People moved with uh, livestock, livestock for cattle between the the outfield and the mountain, and also they would take cattle to the island, as well. And um, I suppose as well as that, uh, the, the the environmental system was 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 uh, very advanced for the time. You might say, I mean, it was very advanced thinking, in that it, they even had controls on the the numbers of animals that could actually graze the landscape. So it was a kind of an environmental conservation going on then, which was, I suppose, far advanced on what we have today. Um, insofar as that it, 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 the system they had, would, they would call it uh, talubo or talu, talu, talulebo, 
and uh, it was sort of a cow's grass or a half cow's grass. It was a measure of land, and uh, with it you had, I suppose, uh, uh, a corresponding number of sheep or animals that you could actually graze on that on that landscape. If you look at the science behind the way they work the land, even in terms of, of the, the ridge system, the Hummery, and uh, you still see the, the relics, I suppose, of that in the landscape still in Gwydor and, and in other places in the west of Ireland. Um, you know, the the, the Hummery, or the, as they call them in, in English, I think badly titled the lazy beds, because they're not that lazy when you start to do them, but um, very scientific process as far as that it was using the poor quality land in the best way possible in terms of taking up the nutrients and building them up and, and making sure that you were getting the best out of the soil. And uh, I think I think that a lot of that type of stuff might have been lost on him in terms of he, he was looking at, at creating his own sort of model society. As Queen Victoria's reign began, Lord George Hill bought up half the parish of Guidor from a number of absentee landlords, happy to get rid of their traditionally unprofitable holdings. For decades after the publication of Hill's book, Facts from Guidor, was widely held to show reforming Irish landlordism at its best. Yet even as Facts from Guidor was being regularly praised and republished over the next 50 years, Guidor often grabbed international headlines for rural unrest and violent opposition to landlord-driven change and to those who tried to enforce it. So how factual were the facts from Guidor? Was Lord George exaggerating his achievements? Were his admirers deluded? Or was there something going on in Guidor that they failed to note or understand? There was a huge clash. I mean, he was trying to bring order where there was chaos, as he saw it. To them it was not chaos, it was just something that had continued over a long period. And they fought very hard against the landlord who tried to take over the mountain, take away most of their land as they saw it. Uh, had sheep brought over from Scotland, and had brought over shepherds in Scotland to take care of them and so on. And again, they were enemies, if you like, of culture and language religion and so on. So, so I think that was the beginning of the conflict, change itself. If you looked at some of the grants that he had, I suppose, in terms of helping people to, to fix up their houses and whitewash them, well, when you did that, you, you then paid more rent. So it's, it's, I suppose it was one way of, of achieving more rents in a place. I, I'd say he would have been very disappointed with the potential rents in the area when he when he when he was given this this place or, or, or when it was bought for him so it was it was a, a way of trying to increase income as well and on the other hand i think the positives that he did give were because they were moving into a kind of a market commercial society at the time um they did have to to walk uh, their their produce say to to Dunlow or whatever by by horse and and then you were at the at the mercy of whatever price you got then because you weren't going to walk back with it so i think uh, the the system that was started in in one vig and with with the with the uh, with the store and the shop and fair weights and measures and uh, the the sign that that uh, still is there um is is our religion Tiernagia and and mehan falsa has mileish and mehan cart or something like that you know weights and measures was i suppose uh, giving better play fair play to the to the locals in terms of what they got for their produce. 
but it, it, I, 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 I suppose I can, the, the best thing is to say it was like moving from communism to capitalism, and it was a big change for people. A few years ago, Kathleen Nigilavridje, retired local school teacher, published another perspective on Lord George Hill and his period in Guidor in Star Hanahas Guidor. Maren Nikivnishin Gofoy. Hoshekliha agus krimi na kri hart ernet agus ni rokat ag dunerbi dawatur na tide agus kiri hen elegantista. Anas hwasar hi ulihit tagarubag gofoy tashevaskutenas agus pa pumta an tredi hartir agus an rotaviyan dunerbi awihi agus dunerbi as a hanter awihi agus kera agihe eren hrok. By shifting the economic system into what they would have seen as a more rational a progressive form, you're also shifting the kind of culture or habits or character of the people into a more uh, progressive form. So, like, in fact, you're rescuing, rescuing them from barbarity and kind of archaic, uh, outmoded, primitive past, uh, uh, practices. You're rescuing them then for modernity, rationality and progress. You know, and who can be against kind of progress, as it were? So, you know, the very use of the term improvement is um, a brilliant piece of PR in the 18th century. And, uh, you know, somebody like George Hill coming from the landlord class coming from East Ulster, which had an improved agriculture more on the Scottish lines, uh, would have, when he came to somewhere like Gidor, would have been, uh, you know, very concerned to uh, say, well, we, this is a, a, a kind of a, an archaic remnant. It's, you know, what we were in our childhood, as it were. Now we need to bring these into the kind of the mature uh, state. We need to make Gidor more like Scotland, more like Hillsborough, more like Blessington, their southern estate. And, you know, he had absolutely no doubts, I think, that that was the, the proper way to go, even if it meant severely and absolutely disrupting what was a very complex, intricate system which had been worked out to take advantage of the different resources of mountain, sea and the little patch of uh, good land along the coast in, in Gidor. And, you know, and once you disturb the ecology of a region like that, where everything is kind of very closely interconnected, you do it kind of serious damage. And I, but I don't think that Hill and his sympathisers uh, and the kind of PR machine that's behind, say, the uh, the famous facts from Gidor pamphlet, which gets reprinted ad nauseum in the post-famine period, that none of them, I think, ever really understood why local people, uh, you know, felt put out about this or why they resisted it. They just saw that as being one more symptom of their irredeemable barbarism. When Hill published his facts, it was widely welcomed by the establishment. Glad to find a kindly landlord willing to invest in and develop his estate in the poverty-stricken west of Ireland. Not only did facts present Lord George's achievements in a flattering light, but presented a blueprint for unopposed change which paid. The political and administrative leaders of Britain were enthusiastic in trumpeting facts from Guidor as a corrective remedy for other landlords and peasants suffering lack of investment and improvement in other parts of Ireland. Facts from Guidor set out in very clear terms the nature of the problem as a lot of commentators saw it in the 19th century, that this kind of business of Rundale and micro-farming 
and the whole kind of, if you like, Celtic uh, style of life, which included aspects of Irish language, Catholicism and so on, that, that that was kind of an abomination for many people. And indeed, if you read Facts from Gidorda, and I think one of the most striking features in that book I, or pamphlet is the extent to which it is um, a case study of what needs to be done in the West of Ireland as a whole. Okay, uh, And it becomes a kind of a, a little fable about what needs to, you know, what the impact of the famine will be. And I think one of the most staggering um, sentences in facts from Gidor is the, the, the cruel statement that the Irish people have profited much by the famine. Why have they profited from it? Because they have learned that overpopulation, Rundale, these kind of wild Celtic uh, habits won't do anymore, that they've learned a harsh lesson in the facts of life. You know, it's no accident that the book is called Facts from Gidor, hard facts as opposed to the, the sentiment and the emotionalism and whatever of the Celts. You know, so that if you read Hill, like he's viciously opposed to the idea, for example, that people uh, should help one another. So like he's viciously opposed to what he calls the mendicants and the beggars and the fact that people are giving them food and help. He's absolutely vicious about about that. But the idea is that the and again, I quote that the Irish are a people capable when brought under salutary discipline of performing all duties. You know, performing all duties again the Victorian language but what is the salutary discipline you know the salutary discipline is to learn to live under the, uh, the thumb of a landlord the salutary discipline is the discipline of the famine which teaches you what happens when you, you uh, overstep these kind of marks and it's also couched in religious language so he talks about the famine as being a, a, you know, a divine providence that the famine is actually a good thing because it's actually teaching these people the harsh facts of life, you know, and I think that's why it resonated because it's it chimed in with the dominant attitudes in relation to the famine and whatever, which was that this would be a short-term uh, pain for a long-term gain, and that it would accelerate the modernisation in inverted commas of the the West of Ireland, which was extremely necessary, and shift Irish people from the old potato-based micro-farming culture into a more Scottish model where you would get in the big sheep farms and so on, and that it chimes in very well with. The, um, the dominant kind of moralism and providentialism of uh, you know, people like Charles Trevelyan and the key kind of uh, famine administrators and post-famine administrators within Ireland. The famous three-month uh, court case in the House of Commons in, 19, uh, sorry, in 1858 uh, probably brought home to a lot of English people what was going on because that, that was reported and they could read about it and so on. And it gives a very vivid and detailed account of what life was really like. So you can read that and then compare it with with um, what Lord George Hill read. But you will notice there a great difference of culture, a difference of expression, a difference of, of attitude and so on. And, 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 and that's where you get a glimpse of what the, how, how involved and how deep the culture and attitudes went and how difficult that's why it was so difficult for George Hill to to, um, to make much progress The recent readings of Hill's work and of the local landscape suggest that Facts from Guidor was limited in many ways by the landlord's lack of understanding of the realities of peasant life on the Atlantic coast of Donegal His critics hold that his own worldview blinded Hill and prevented him seeing the suitability of the Rondale system for a marginal area like Guidor. Large tracts in the interior are consequently neglected, lying waste from the population thronging the shore, where the land is subdivided into very small portions. 
The wretched system of Rundale being here in full force and operation, all this district of country is held under what is known by that term, and which may be thus described. In some instances, a tenant, having any part of a townland, no matter how small, had his proportion in thirty or forty different places, and without fences between them, it being utterly impossible to have any, as the proportions were so very numerous and frequently so small that not more than half a stone of oats was required to sow one of such divisions. Thus every tenant considers himself entitled to a portion of each various quality of land in his townland, and the man who had some good land at one extremity was sure to have some bad at the other, and a bit of middling in the centre, and bits of other quality in odd corners, each bounded by his neighbour's property, and without any fence or ditch between them. Under such circumstances as these, could anyone wonder at the desperation of a poor man, who, having his inheritance in thirty-two different places, abandoned them in utter despair of ever being able to make them out? Fights, trespasses, confusion, disputes and assaults were the natural and unavoidable consequences of this system. These evils, in their various forms, were endless, and caused great loss of time and expense to the people attending petty sessions, and, of course, continued disunion amongst neighbours was perpetuated. As, on a certain day, all the cattle belonging to the townland were brought from the mountains and allowed to run indiscriminately over the arable land, and any that had not their potatoes dug or other crops off the ground were much injured. The benefit to the tenants was so very evident on that part of the estate where the Rundale system had been abolished that those on that part of the property where it was still in force became pressing and even annoying to have their land divided in like manner, some of them even pleading with the agent that as they had paid their rent, they considered they had as good a right to have farms cut out for them as those who had already enjoyed the advantage. The late Sean McGinley wrote the first history of his native parish, which was published as Scale Ridor in 1983. He offered two opposing readings of most of Hill's improvements. There's a Norwegian Dolan Kindian to Gushi Tawirte, an architecture at the heart. An architecture at the sea, Grushi hid Akri, Ure, Frihavel, Fresh Lean, Turnipi Pretikus Mushende, a Tatiwellen Skilchen in it. Tess of Winnilink, Gur Hashishagas Gruncha, the Keren, Agus Hosha, a Chagli Oga Huniaru, Agus Begginton, the Kitty Wartishan, a hot sheath, Agus and Ganyum for Nisus and Trey, Agus Hunyatalu, Yanumas, a vasculus and Keren, Agusin and Fagur on the Shehid Akron, Agusin Fagajansha, Hunyatilu Keithel. Nurin will carking the door of you of a county. A we can melt in our one bag and honey genuine carke, a we mullen on for honey emmet, a gusty mullen linen. Ah, ehem to garter a kite of adwell, gur a henevish exmuti fastemar, bullish and cheerna, and chamanaku. Now, Tarodeller while him lorter, Jinunre Togo Berrick with a tar, shin eight intel a berrick of hocket, a gusty toy gur togan berrick, honey in the hall beneath the good care, hasn't. I guess an architect who gets a shark. Why the Molly Maguires now munched a fobble with Milnat or Tatter? Why Chitin and Verrick? I guess Fanamshin be okay head, could ye shake head pace as the bubble the door? Well, now in Tarot, the Marudig Master in the door, the rare and luring version of my country reduced, the Marudig Master knew in Grihila, like a head, not a shake head pace, 
But at a rate pace when you're on virtue visa football. So he seemed a very reasonable man. And I, I think it's worth looking at, at the evidence given in 1858 in, in the House of Commons, where you will see the personality of the landlords coming through very strongly and those that you wouldn't like to meet and those that you could probably come to some agreement with and so on. And, and um, they more or less split down the middle, half and half, and uh, he's probably in, in the, the good half, if you like. George Hill may have attempted to understand what they were doing, but there was no way he was going to break through the, the huge barrier of language and culture. The fact that he did not have proper access to, to the Irish language, didn't probably speak or know the Irish language well, uh, probably kept no, the other Ireland, as they call it, hidden from him in terms of culture and access and song and music and folklore. He would probably would not have understood that type of, um, of Ireland anyhow. It would be most difficult for him. Uh, had he learned Irish, I think, and, and, and acquired some knowledge of the culture, he probably would have understood in a better way why all the um, people who owned the land uh, and the, the reorganisation that he was trying to, to, to apply to the way the land had been divided and so on. I think he would probably would have understood how that was attached, not just to the land, but to, to ways of doing things that were hundreds of years old, to superstitions, to, to folklore, if you like, to a cultural way of life, and uh, why people didn't want to move from the uh, kind of habitation which they, they had practiced, that is living together and, and in the houses of groups of five or six and so on. Not all of Hill's uh, changes, I suppose, could could be seen as being bad. I think that there were some good things that, that he proposed as well. But um, having having said that, I think on the whole, I think he missed the point of what the system, the benefits of the system that were there, um, I suppose, either agriculturally in, in such bad land and also uh, in socially and culturally, because the if, if you look at the, the Clahan system, you'll find that the, the, the social setup was as important as anything else insofar as that you had people who, who lived very much uh, in terms of the mehel system. They, they worked together, they helped each other out. It was a very strong social system. Um, and as it was in, breaking it, in trying to break it up, uh, there was an attempt to break up the social system as well. And uh, culturally as well, in terms of, of um, the closeness of, of the people in the clusters and Ernyal and, and the, the, the system of actually managing the, the land and managing the society was, was, was quite strong. And I think there was an attempt maybe to break that as well. The people just didn't prove to be so easily uh, malleable or whatever as uh, he had thought. And what he also discovered was that simply changing, if you like, the shape of the, the, the uh, chessboard where he could move around his, his little uh, guidor pawns or whatever, that it just didn't work like that because these pawns kind of started moving of their own uh, uh, volition and whatever and started doing things which he didn't like or whatever. And, you know, there, there is a, a famous book by an American historian called uh, Weapons of the Weak, which talks about the way in which communities are able to subvert, even while seemingly being compliant, what, how they're able to subvert through petty or small little acts of... Uh, of uh, insubordination, as it were, uh, you know, moving kind of uh, markers during the night, for example, 
or just just small scale, low level, but routine kind of sapping of the whole kind of ground around it. And I think what you see in Ghidorah is very effective uses of these uh, weapons of the week and that they're eventually as a, they're eventually actually able to reinstate if you like their own principles underneath this superficially massively changed landscape so that what you get after 20 years and this is I think what Hill eventually realises and why he throws up his hands in despair at it what you get is in fact the old system re-emerging and that what has happened is the, the, the power the sophistication the subtlety the flexibility of the earlier culture has been able to actually undo everything that Hill has done and they've done it as it were under his noses and this is while he has been trumpeting to the world the, the wonderful achievements that he has done in, in uh, Gidor. It has been for a long time the most densely populated rural area in, in Western Europe and people get very confused about how that happened but it is I suppose a reflection on that tradition or that historical system and how it, 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 it uh, really didn't uh, break up in the way that the landlord had, had wanted it totally. I think he did have to compromise because um, people wanted, even, even though in agreeing to go to individual strips of land or individual farms, um, the, the system that, it, that turned out was still a very striped ladder type farm uh, system in most places, which still kind of gave you a little bit of good land and bad land. And then the houses were, were put very near each other as well. So, so it was an attempt, uh, it became a kind of a linear cluster rather than a, 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 a sort of a round or, 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 or a kind of a total cluster. But it, it, it was a sort of a reaction to it, I suppose, that the people says, well, OK, then if we have to go into these individual farms, we're still going to build the houses near each other. What I think is most significant about um, Hill's attempted remodelling of the landscape is that it didn't work. The local people who are then and now are very sophisticated in terms of uh, finding ways around uh, you know, regulations that uh, are inappropriate to their, uh, their lifestyle and the region, the people just worked around it. And what you actually find is that uh, you know, if you look at uh, Gidor, say, in the 1860s or the 1880s or uh, you know, the baseline reports of the congested district board and whatever, what had happened is people had just worked around the system and reinstalled the older system. Now, it's operating in a slightly different template because of the striping and the, the reorganisation of the Rundale. But the Rundale principles, the Rundale philosophy, the older kind of cultural norms and practices have simply reasserted themselves. And people have very skillfully manipulated the Hill system to make it fit their needs, their prerogatives and whatever. And I think it's a brilliant example of the way in which you cannot just impose these kind of things from kind of outside. But what is striking is, in some respects, is that Gidor managed that maybe better than uh, a lot of other communities because elsewhere in the west of Ireland, where that kind of striping and so on happened, it did lead to a, a collapse of the local culture and to very massive kind of uh, out-migration. Lord George Hill had been born into the wealthy Downshire dynasty of Hillsborough Castle in County Down. His worldview was typical of his class and the Victorian era. While he loved and moved to live in Donegal, he failed to gain a full understanding of the complex cultural, social and environmental factors which had sustained community life in Guidor for generations before his arrival. Nevertheless, many feel that he did his best by his tenants and deserves to be seen as a saint among Irish landlords. The late E. Eston Evans of Queen's University, Belfast, wrote the foreword to a new edition of The Facts from Guidor in the 1980s. He was a strong supporter of Lord George Hill 
and the facts as presented on his behalf. He was a well-meaning, if simple-minded man, bewildered by the opposition which his well-intentioned objectives encountered. In the end, he lost heart and gave up regular visits to Guidor. The changes, for good or ill, brought about by Lord George Hill were completed by the Great Famine. In the new cultural landscape, enclosed fields and scattered homesteads took the place of the tangled Rundale holdings and clustered clachans. Isolation and self-seeking replaced the warmth and poetry of communal living. It's a friendly disorder, dear to the Irish heart. But if Lord George were to see it, he would want to start all over again to impose an English order on the scene. Whatever one may think of the Guidor experiment, the fact remains that Lord George gave the world, in his facts from Guidor, the most detailed account that we have of the rural world of the Gael, of its cultural and physical attributes in the days before the Great Famine. What it tells you about is Lord George Hill. I don't think it actually tells you very much about Guidor at all. And the really interesting thing in that book is to understand the mentality, the attitudes, the motivation of a Lord George Hill. But it should never be presented as it is, unfortunately, I think, in, you know, by people like uh, Emer Eston Evans as being somehow a very good account of, you know, the best account we have of Rundell and life in, in Ghidorah or whatever. That's absolute patent nonsense. If you want to kind of uh, approach that, let go to the Irish language sources, go to, say, the... Uh, the uh, collections made by uh, Bahuki and various people up there. But like, don't uh, uh, pretend that this is some uh, detailed, uh, intimate account of life in Gidor. It's not at all, in any sense, a, a kind of a, an intimate insider's view of uh, life in Gidor.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.